You'll get a chance to finish that conversation a little later in the service, so don't, don't, don't feel pressured. I bring you greetings from the uh, Republic of Congo, where this morning uh, Enoch, the Assis, our own pastor, uh, preached in a church. 1,200 people, and you would think, 1,200 people in Africa in church, that's great, fantastic, normal, everyday sort of thing. And yet, this is a country that's been riddled with tribal warfare for a very long time. Tribes of people who are just decimating each other. Uh, millions and millions of people killed in genocide, and there are 12, 13 different tribes represented in this church, sitting next to each other in the pew, next to someone who potentially had killed one of their relatives, their friends, their, their whoever it may be. And the God of the universe is very, very present there as he is with us here. And so um, Enoch would want me to tell more stories, but I wouldn't want to take those stories away from Enoch. But know that the team, Enoch and a, a group of uh, 12, are, are there and doing great ministry. They started a week in South Africa at a Maranatha church, uh, about 4,000 people. He preached there last Sunday, and this Sunday he's in the Congo. They come back to us in the next couple of days, but uh, very exciting times for Eli in terms of trying to find a, a partner church that we'd be uh, working with uh, there in sub-Saharan Africa. So, exciting. We're looking at a passage of Scripture which is uh, um, probably sort of uh, like the fire hose, um, taking a small drink from a fire hose. Um, it is just a chock full of, of really rich, good stuff. I'm going to do as much as I can with it, and then we'll see if we can um, take away some um, things for ourselves in the midst of the passage. But um, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah the prophet, uh, within the context of the book of Isaiah, this is in chapter 6, so this really, uh, what happened sort of during the first five chapters of Isaiah, well, there's some good things that happened, but many scholars would sort of agree that this is kind of the beginning of Isaiah's prophetic ministry, that this is kind of where it comes to place, and then the rest of which sort of folds out of this passage is um, sort of this, uh, God has done something with Isaiah, and it changed and transformed, and now moved him forward to be able to proclaim a new truth to the people of Israel. So why do we put in the year that King Uzziah died, why, why is that there? I think it's probably there for two reasons. One is it's sort of a historical marker. We want to put it in the context of this really happened within the bounds of history. This was a real king who lived and reigned and died, and they want to make it clear that this is kind of t the time during history that this took place. But on the other side of this is this sense that they're talking about a king who had a certain lifespan. They lived, they reigned, and then they died. And so there's this sense that it's sort of, there's a completeness, there's finish there. You can sort of, you know, it's, it's def definite. It's, it's not real transcendent. And it's kind of transposed or juxtaposed against the scene that's coming next which is describing a king that is transcendent, a king that is eternal, a king that will reign over the universe forever and forever and forever. And so there's this kind of contrast in the midst of Isaiah wanting to make a point that this is sort of this king, King Uzziah. Um, we're going to talk about a totally different king, a transcendent king, an eternal king in the passages that come. And so in verse, verses 2, 3, and 4, you probably get a sense of um, that there's a complete sort of holy otherness to what is being described here. Now, if, if you've experienced seraphs with six wings, two with, over their face, two covering their feet, and two that flew, if you've experienced that kind of in your everyday life, I'd like to talk to you after the service because um, 
But we have, can go one of two ways. You've had an incredible experience with the Lord, which I'd love to hear about, or you're on some pretty hardcore narcotics of some kind, and, and I would want to kind of talk you out of that. So, um, so but there, there's this sense that this scene is so super, like, hyper on steroids kind of scene that's so different than anything we could ever experience. It's even more different than Avatar. <laughs> do, you, do you realize the significance of what I just said? No, really, it's not that significant because it's so much better and so much deeper and better than that. And, and there's this sense that God is sort of setting up this, this place of worship that is all in worship of him. In verse 5, I kind of, I don't know, for some reason I have this sort of Steve Carell character sort of walking in the midst of it, so I'm going like, woe is me. Like, I don't fit in here at all. I'm a man of unclean lips. <laughs> Comes from a group of people who have unclean lips. Like, just sort of kind of a bumbling kind of person. Now, some would say like, that doesn't say it there. And Isaiah was a great prophet, and how dare you. But there's this sense that you could not be not like dumbified in the midst of such a scene. And so the... Uh, eternal comes into connection here with the, um, that which has an end and a beginning, a beginning and an end. The holy interacts with the unholy human. And, and that's sort of the next scene is that the seraphs come in with this, this coal, again, this sort of super terrific, you're kind of going like, that's crazy sort of uh, talk. And then God talks to him, asks a question, and the response from Isaiah is, send me, I'm ready to go. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, who's a, a scholar, uh, would sort of describe this, probably this scene, um, kind of two different ways. One would be that this is a description of right worship. The first four verses are talking about just worship of God and what that sort of looks like. And, and that this is a, a, a good way in order to, to praise, that it's always sort of this way. And then our response to that, the holiness of God in worship, is we can't not get into that situation and confess that in the months, all of this holiness, we are unholy. And so we confess that. God, I don't belong here. My lips are unclean. I come from a people of unclean lips. I, 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 I just don't belong in this scene. And yet God doesn't leave us in that place of not being in congruence with that holiness. He comes down in the midst of this situation through a seraph, brings this coal, burning coal, puts it on his lip and says, your sins are forgiven, your transgressions are blotted out, and so I'm going to make you a part of this scene in some way, not because of something that you did, but based on the holiness that comes from this experience. And then finally, it's sort of, you've gone through all this, this, um, these experiences, and now it's go. Go. Go and profess. Go using this mouthpiece that I've given you, given this, this, um, this thing that happened in your lip, it transformed lips. Go and proclaim the good news of God. Proclaim the repentance away from sin. Proclaim that there is something better out there than all of this. So there's sort of two ways, and, and, and that's sort of the, the, the right worship kind of a way of seeing it. The other way of seeing it is that this is kind of a uh, sort of like a driver, you need a driver's license to drive. You need some sort of a prophetic, profound sort of prophetic experience in order to have the authority to be able to go through. And so this is kind of the beginning of this sort of saying, he's had this incredible experience, therefore it is okay that you would think that the things that would come out of his lips in the future would not be his own thoughts, but would be from God, would be a prophetic word for the people of Israel. And they would respond in in that way, in a way that would be in obedience to those words. This is God's chosen person for this work. So where does all this fit into what we're studying right now? We're looking at the book of Acts is what we're doing. So why are we in the book of Isaiah? We're looking at two, two guys, two of God's most profound sort of prophetic voices, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. We're looking at Isaiah today, and last week we looked at Paul. 
we're looking at these, the, these guys who had these, these unbelievable, supernatural, extravagant kind of experiences with God in order to call them into ministry. It's both a call and a conversion kind of at the same time. There's, there's, a, there's a sense that they're being called into something new, but there's also something that we're taking the old, we're changing it around, and we're bringing something new. So it's, it's both and. It's not necessarily one or the other. These guys are being called and they're being converted and called into a new way of doing ministry, both Isaiah and Paul in their own right. So what's the purpose of them being called into the, these places? Both are called to go and share the message that they have received or are receiving from God. Both, this is both a call and a conversion. This is an experience that ends up being their calling card to some degree. They will refer back to this experience as sort of their authority that something, God has done something significant and therefore what comes out of their mouth is significant as well. Paul will even go to the extent of within the book of Acts, two or three times later, will repeat this whole conversion story later to say, look, let me tell you where God has taken me. Let me tell you what God has done. So God uses this as kind of their, I've got the ability to say these things because God's done these things in my life. And um, they're both end up being spokespeople for God in a significant kind of way. Now, for me, what, what I, I kind of kind of come to this place, and, and, I, and I, um, I look at these scriptures, I look at these thoughts, and I kind of go like, okay, that's great. That's great for those of you in, in, here today sitting uh, who have had an Isaiah or Paul kind of experience. And, and you know some of those people. We've got some amazing stories of people's faithfulness, of, of faithfulness, amazing stories of God coming down and doing something significant in your life, a, a healing, a change in direction, a, a conversion, whatever it may be. That's really significant. But what about the, what about the sort of the rest of us? I kind of feel robbed. Am I right? Like, dude, that guy's testimony was pretty sweet. Like, I kind of wish I had a testimony like that. And like, mine is like, well, I went to church one day and I, I got baptized and that was pretty sweet. And then, you know, I, yeah, about 10, 15 years later, I got in a Bible study and those were really good guys. Good guys in that Bible study. And, and then I got married. That was pretty sweet, you know, and then some kids and, you know, it's like that, 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 that punch, like heroin in my arm. Oh, heroin, yeah, God. Ooh, and there's this like, we, we, we like that story. We, we like, the, it's sort of like good for TV and good for movies. So we want it in the church. We want that kind of experience. But what about the rest of us to sort of have a little house in the prairie kind of existence? You know? Pa, pa. Mary stole my doll. You know, like... Mary, you can't steal her doll. You know, I gotta find the doll. Where's the doll? You know, like, okay, that was wrong. I, I'm sorry. I, I went too far with the, with the picture. Some of you are going, I don't know that story. It's okay. Look it up on the internet. It's really a lot of fun. Mary's blind. That's why. Yeah, okay. It's not, it's not in my notes either. My wife's going, you didn't do this last night when you went over with me. And this isn't right. You've gone off the topic. Now you've lost them. They're never going to come back. They're never going to come back. In the book called Conversion by Richard Peace, uh, he talks about really uh, there, there are two different kinds of conversion experiences. That Paul is endemic in, in the New Testament of this sort of super, you know, unbelievable kind of supernatural experience that takes place. But then he sort of says, look, this isn't necessarily the prototype for how this thing works. I'm going to give you another point of view, and it's to look at the life of the disciples. Look at the life of the 12 disciples. There's not necessarily an identifiable place, identifiable place within their lives that's sort of like, oh, that's when he became this and not that. There's a sense that over the three years that they spend with Jesus that there's a process that goes on, and in the end, they end up sort of being in the same. They're not in a better place or worse place than Paul. They're just, their process was different. 
And I think it's to affirm within the church body to say that there are some of us who have had Paul-like experiences, and there are some of us who have had disciple-like experiences, where over a period of time, there wasn't like this like lightning bolt, like head splits open and like, you know, Harry Potter kind of thing on your, there's there's nothing like that at all. There's nothing, it, it is something that where over a period of time you just, you found yourself like, God, I can, I can look back and see all the different places that God has done an amazing work in my life, works in my life. And so it sort of becomes this question of the extraordinary and the ordinary. And, and the, the idea is regardless of how you are called to that place, the challenge for all of us to some degree is to remember our call. Remember your call. And what's the call to? The call is to a relationship with the living God. It is with this person of Jesus Christ who lived and died and was resurrected on the third day. It is that that we have to find our identity in. It is that where we move forward from, knowing that, remembering that our call is to a relationship with that person. And so as we do that, we realize that we, have an, we remember our call, that, that we are free in that call. We remember that who we are in that call, our identity, and we remember probably most importantly whose we are, that we are his, that he wants us. He wants to be in a relationship with us that's close and intimate and real and tangible. And that as we do that, we leave the old stuff behind. As Lazarus is resurrected by by Jesus, he comes out and they drop the grave clothes because the old is gone and the new has come. Within the, within the book of Colossians, it would talk about taking off the old clothes and putting on the new ones. This idea that we are called into this fantastic, huge, different kind of life in the midst of that. And so whether you've had the Paul or Isaiah kind of experience or the other, God still calls us to be a people that look back and remember what he has done and what he continues to do and what will he do in our life and our call. And so from there, we, we sort of, um, I think we probably make a few observations about that, that call and remembering that call. This whole remembering the call thing, it's not really very new. The word zakar, the Hebrew word, which means remember, in the Old Testament, is God is continually saying to his people, can you remember me, please? Remember, remember. I think after a while, it's just like, dude, remember, remember, remember. And they're like, um, hello. Th- th- this was going to be the example today. We were going to try this. It didn't work very well. It was going to be that TJ was like rocking out to a song, you know, like, I'm TJ right now. No, it's like worshiping. And he was just going to stop in the middle of the song. And everyone was going to be like, dude, he just stopped in the middle of the song. Like, and, and he would just start like putting away his equipment. And I was going to stand up and go, TJ, what are you doing? You're disrupting worship, you know, and it would be better than that. But, you know, you get the idea. And TJ would sort of say, well, family is in town and we're, we're going to Claim Jumper and I forgot to make a reservation and it gets busy at like noon, so I was, I was just going to go. TJ, do you realize you're in the middle of a worship song? Like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, do you want me to play it again or what do you want me to do? And that, that's not really TJ's voice. TJ's going to be like, dude. I look like some sort of wuss as you're talking about me up there. But the, the idea is that like we get into these great places, right? We get into this, God has done something so significant in my life. I'm going to stay so close to him. I'm going to be into it. I'm going to be praying. It's like, oh, it's a, oh I got to write that list of things to do. Oh, God, da, 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 da. oh, you know, oh, pretty shiny thing. Oh, pretty. Oh, look at the lights. Oh, hi. How are you doing? It's like, what was I doing again? Oh, I was worshiping God. And I was going to make that an extreme example. We didn't do that, want to do that because it would ruin your worship experience today. And the worship songs were so good that we didn't want to wor- ruin that for you. But the idea would be that like this forgetfulness thing isn't new. 
Forgetful this thing is Old Testament, New Testament, it's everywhere. We're even more bombarded with this idea. We just, like, we, we forget. And we have to remember. I think the second observation I want to make is that it, this call is not a one-time event. I think it is like the disciples. It's kind of, a, we, we get called a bunch of different times. Yes, there are some whose story goes back to sort of one significant thing that goes on, but I think in more, it, more normative probably is the idea that God has done a, a whole bunch of different sorts of things, some big, some small, that have changed and transformed who you are. For, for me, I know it was, um, I was uh, applying for a job here. The last part of getting the job at Bel Air was standing up here, and I had to preach on a Tuesday night at the Foundry. And they said, you know, it's kind of an all-worship night, so we usually don't have a speaker, which is a great way to start a sentence. Look, we really don't want you to speak, but if we have to have you speak, can you speak like 10 minutes? Um, sure, and if you know anything about sermons, they don't really fit into 10-minute, you know, sort of deals, but I sort of fit into 10 minutes, so I, I did my song and dance. They said, oh, you did good, you know, we'll call you. Okay, thanks. Got up really early the next morning, and I drove to Mexico. I drove to Mexico, so I was working at Malibu Presbyterian Church. I was the missions person there at um, Malibu Pres. I was going down to visit one of our mission partners, and I was going down to visit um, the uh, high school students who were working with, alongside of Azusa Pacific University in their, um, their uh, the ministry to uh, a church that they were working with down there. So I go visit Baja Christian Ministries, do the thing that they're doing, and then I drive down, and we show up with these high school kids. And you have to realize that for me, going down there was just this unbelievable high of experience. The place that God truly moved me in my ministry was in Mexico. In the, in the dirt of sleeping overnight in, in tents and, and going to the bathroom in porta potties and just holes in the ground and all this sort of crazy stuff, God moved me in ways that I can't really enumerate. I had some of my most spiritual highs of highs there in, in Mexico. And so this was the first year that I wasn't leading the trip. Somebody else was leading the trip. I wasn't working with the high school kids any longer, but this was a chance to maybe kind of go down and get a flavor, encourage them, you know, that kind of a thing is the missions part. And so I slept in the tent. I got up the next morning, and we're having this meeting, and we're in this big sort of um, gymnasium that they've built. And around the gymnasium, they have all the banners from all the different years. And so each year they have a theme, and there's a, there's a banner for each of the years. And I'm sitting in this room, and I'm going, I was there that year. I've got that T-shirt. I've got that T-shirt. Got that T-shirt lost that t-shirt, you know, um, and, and I'm going around, and I'm like, wow, this is really, really, really cool. God, thanks for allowing me just this moment to reflect on the goodness that you've brought to my life through these trips down to Mexico. Man, this is just, this is like, so I'm driving back home, getting close to the border. We're sitting in the traffic at the border, hour and a half, trying to sell me chiclets on the way or whatever it may be, and I get the call from George Hinman. George Hinman, Bel Air Presbyterian Church. How are you doing today, Keenan? I'm great. I'm in Mexico great. So he's like, why is he, what? Anyways, we'd like to offer you a position at Bel Air Presbyterian Church. Wow. It's kind of this monumental kind of thing where God said, this is where you've been. This is where I'm taking you. And it was just extraordinary, very, very poignant in my own head uh, how that all works. And I think God in some ways has a bunch of different experiences set up for us to remember to look back on and remember, how was God faithful in healing my son from Hirschsprung's disease? How was my um, God faithful to me when my, when my parents were divorced? How was my God faithful to me as we were doing new ministry at Bel Air? Whatever it might be. What are those things sort of in, in your life as well? Observation number three, it's not necessarily all about trying harder. I think sometimes we, we try too hard to remember. 
We've got like four WWJD bracelets, right? We've got four of them. We got like, you know, 16 tattoos. We got like in our car, there's like, you know, post-it notes everywhere. There's stuff written in our house. You can't like, you have to walk through like the glory of the Lord in your house or whatever it might be. Like, you've just got like set up. It's like, yeah, I'm whole. I'm down with the holy. You know what I'm saying? Like, bring it, bring it, bring it. And there, there's this idea. It was like sometimes we try too hard that we have to realize that this isn't so much about us trying to remember. I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember. You know, like that's just not the spirit of the deal here. God's spirit moves like the wind, as it says in John, and I think it's a sense that God's spirit would bring us to a place of remembering when we need to remember. And so as much as I do think it's important that we have, um, we have ritual and we have, we have things, you come to church every Sunday sort of to, to go through the process of remembering, oh yeah, that's who God says he is, that's right. And sometimes that happens in a sermon. Most of you, it doesn't happen in a sermon, and that's okay, I don't take that personally. It happens with music. It happens with the sacraments. It happens as you watch somebody else's baptism and remember your own baptism. It happens at this table as you, you know, take in communion as we do all together. It's this remember, remember, remember your call as you do that together. Fourth, some of you just need to realize you need to cut out the noise. You need to cut out the noise in order to reflect, in order to respond, in order to just take in who God is to sit in the throne room, it's not about like doing a bunch of stuff while you're there. It's about just going, God, you are God and I am not. We need to cut the noise so we can have those experiences. It's not that we're, it's not that we're asking God to speak louder, but we're asking God to quiet ourselves enough that we can hear the still small voice of God that's already speaking to us. We're just not able to hear it quite yet. Observation number five, you play to the audience of one. Mark talked about this last week. I think it's unbelievable significant to realize that there are, we have calls in our life. We have vocational calls. God has called me to be an actor. He's called me to be um, a doctor. He's called me to be these different things. He's called me to be a great husband. He's called me to be a great wife, a great child, a great father, whatever it may be. But the primary call of our life, the, voca- the, the call that goes above all the rest is into a relationship with Christ, into a relationship with the living God, we have got to keep that in perspective. If we don't have that audience of one figured out, we end up playing to the other audiences. We end up doing lots of things to try to please these people. We do it, end up doing lots of things to try to get us into a place of being in heaven. And God's going, no, no, I'm the deal. I'm it. You play to, my, you play to me. And the rest of it will figure itself out. We play to the audience of one. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward at this point. Um, this is not the point where you're going to put stuff in the, this is different. And they're going to do this, this really well and efficiently or you're not going to hear the rest of what I'm going to say, but you're not going to hear it anyway, so that's good. Um, what's going to happen is that you are going to be given a piece of string. piece of string. Now, you remember this. I don't know where this started, but somewhere or another along the way, somebody said, you know, tie that piece of string to sort of remember that thing. Now, what I want you to realize is that some of you are going to, like, immediately try to start, start doing this, and you're going to, like, work on yours your mouth and everything else. I don't want you to tie your own string, Okay? I don't want you to tie your own string. I want you to find somebody around you who can tie the string for you. This is important, okay? Don't tie your own string. Some of you are like, you know, I'm a self-made man. I can do this. There's someone in the audience here at somewhere can like tie their own shoe with their feet or something. You know, God love you. That's not the point of this, to be self-sufficient. It's that you would work with the person next to you. So get to know the person next to you. Go ahead and tie a string around their finger. Um, so, you've got a string, you've got a bow. 
bow, a knot, whatever. Let's not try to do that too tightly. We don't want any like tourniquet kind of things going on. I lost a finger at Bel Air Presbyterian Church once. That string guy. Two strings walk into a bar. No, 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 tell that joke. I can tell the string joke. It would go well. Two strings walk into a bar. Bartender says, see, this is just to kind of take up time while you're talking about your friends. He says, we don't serve strings here. To the left, the guy went out, tied himself up, and frayed the top of his head, came back in, and the guy says, we don't serve strings here. And the guy said, not a string. I'm afraid not. Sorry. It's really bad. But it took up time there, so you'd have something to listen to if you were not participating in the life of the thing. What's the last observation here? Strings are really fun. (laughs) Strings make sweaters. No, that's not the point. The idea is that we have a hard time remembering on our own. In isolation from others, it is difficult to remember. The point of community, God uses community to remind us of who he is. So you come together for this type of worship experience. You come together with your small group. You have another couple over for dinner. You have a family over for a meal, whatever it might be. And in the midst of all that, the idea would be that you would be a reminder to others. The string represents sort of, you know, whatever it is that you need to remember today. For some of us, we we just need to realize that like this whole thing is not about an individual experience. Some of that takes place, but so much about the communal experience. And the community is there to remind us, bring us back to the truth of who God is. So, if we go back to the Isaiah passage, there's something here to maybe further reflect on in terms of kind of our own place in life. Maybe we need to praise him more. Maybe we need to remember um, something yourself that you've really never experienced to begin with. It's difficult to express to somebody else. Man, the, 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 it's great riding a unicycle and, and the experience of the wind going through your hair. It's like you've never ridden one before, right? No, never ridden one. It's hard to express what it is to ride a unicycle unless you yourself have ridden one and ridden it for a while. It is a difficult thing for you to express what's going on in the life of faith, what it is to worship God with all of your life and all of who you are, It's difficult to share that with somebody else if you yourself aren't doing it. And so some of us need to go back to the throne room and just experience God. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Maybe some of us have forgotten who we are in light of who he is. And in the midst of that, that we would come back to a place of realizing that confession, although it's been sort of this kind of a Catholic sort of a thing, that there's a, a particular place in time within the Catholic faith that mounts that to happen, that we gotta come back as those who are of reformed faith and say that there is a place for confession in the life of the community. And part of that is going, he's God and I'm not. Some of us need to just, just confess. Maybe you're in a place where you haven't experienced the full force of God's forgiveness through Christ. In this passage, it is the seraph who inflicts pain on Isaiah. In this passage, it is the seraph who inflicts pain on Isaiah in order that he may be forgiven. For us, it is Christ's action on the cross that brings us into right relationship with him. Some of us need, need to feel the full force of what that means. 
And maybe when we haven't heard, we have that all sort of figured out where we're doing all these things, we're confessing, we're, we're forgiven, all the rest of it. Then some of you just need to hear that, like, you need to go. It's not about becoming more holy than the person sitting next to you in the pew. They may have this super fragilistic expialidocious kind of experience. You've got a kind of the ordinary kind of experience that God is calling both of you, all of you, all of us, to be his mouthpiece into the world. Because everybody out there can't relate to it. It's like, well, I've never done heroin, so I can't really relate to that story. But the person who says, you know, I just realized, like, there's something missing. I can't figure it. And it was God, and that's what I need. And, and the person goes, like, that, that I can relate to. That doesn't sound too, like, out of, doesn't sound like a winged beast or anything else that I can't really comprehend. That's something I can relate to. So the question is, where are you? Some of you are remembering your call today. And today is just a simple reminder and a bit of an encouragement for where you've gone and where you're going. Some of you have been dulled and mesmerized by the culture, and you have mistaken things of the world for things of God. And you need to get back to your roots and remember that God is God and you are not. Some of you had tried to do what you can to forget. Religion has burned you. You were hurt by the church. You were forgotten by people in a time of your most desperate need. And God wants to call you back, not to a religion, but to a relationship with him. And for some of you, you've, you've never known what it means to be called or converted. This God, the God of, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is calling you into relationship with himself. Some of you may be experiencing the desire to want to act on that right here, right now, a Paul or Isaiah kind of experience where you just feel like God's presence is saying, do this. And for some of you, this may be a part of a series of things that you go through that will draw you into right relationship with him. Either way, the most important call that you can get is not one of becoming a part of a particular church. It is not even being a part of a small group. It's not, it, it, it is a call into a relationship with Jesus Christ himself. So wherever you are in life, I pray that God will so impress in you a sense of his love, his forgiveness, and his grace, so that there'll be no mistake, this is your Lord and Savior from this day forward, and that you may not forget who you are and whose you are and what now you can do for the kingdom. Let's pray. God, I do pray for um, all of these different groups of people we just talked about, God. For those who are living out their faith in significant kinds of ways, God, would you continue to encourage them in that way? God, for those who have been dulled and mesmerized by the culture, God, would you draw them back to a place of not back into a religious institution, but into a right relationship with you. And for those who have been hurt and burned by the church, God, would you allow real healing take place, the kind of healing that only you can bring about. And God, for those potentially who are here who have not been called or converted before, God, there is that voice that is different than mine that is saying to you, come to me, you who are sick and weary, and I'll make you well. God, if that's where you are, then right now you're saying, 
to God, I want to leave behind the life that I've had, the sin, the, the reckless living, all the rest of it, God, so that I can come into a full relationship with you, Jesus Christ. I submit my life to you. I surrender my life to you. And God, for all of us, that we are a called people, God, that you would continually remind us that you love us and that you want us to share this love with others. God, move in our community. Allow us to encourage one another to move in directions we never thought were possible because you are with us. The holy of holies is moving through ordinary and extraordinary people. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.